Gathering once more, uh, we're continuing in our, our series in uh, 1 Corinthians, Correcting Carnality in Christ's Church. I always say this, I, I'm very alliterative, so I like a lot of C's and all this stuff, but correcting carnality in Christ's Church, that's what we've been in for not that long, but it feels like forever. And uh, uh, we, we've been kind of camped out in chapter 12. And this morning, we're going to continue to look at the second section on, on scriptural service, like, you know, Christian service according to the Bible, how the Bible lays out Christian service, what it should look like, where Paul is and has been addressing the Corinthians' distorted views concerning, in particular, the body of Christ, its gifts, its members, its function, and all of that. This is yet another issue that the Corinthians um, were off on, were not properly understanding, and Many uh, folks in the Corinthian church, so long ago, they'd become sort of discontented with the spiritual gifts that God had given them. And they had, at the same time that they were discontented and, and not satisfied or happy with the spiritual gifts they were given, they had become envious and obsessed with others' spiritual gifts in the church. Like um, if a guy had been given this spiritual gift, he's like, yeah, that's not really all that great of a gift, but I like the gift that that person has. And so there was all this envy and jealousy and battling and fighting and, and it led to disunity and all these things, all because people were not happy with the spiritual gifts they wanted and because they were obsessed with really more of the more showy spiritual gifts. Like back then, one of the showy gifts would be the gift of tongues, something that was done in public and what have you. And so to, to really just abbreviate and shorten the issue here, most people in this church wanted the spiritual gift of tongues because there was a handful that had it and practiced it and they were envious of them. And uh, people in this church thought it was just perfectly fine for every member in a local body or expression of the global or larger body. They thought it was perfectly fine for everyone in a church to have all the same spiritual gifts. Like it's, it's totally cool if we all speak in tongues and that's what we do or if we all prophesy, if we all have the gift of faith or something else, they, they were perfectly fine with uniformity or being uniform in your spiritual gifts. They didn't care about diversity. In fact, I think they, did, they didn't like diversity of everyone having different gifts. They wanted uniformity. So it was a, a really weird thing, and this is what they pursued. And it made that particular congregation unhealthy for a bunch of reasons and just to kind of reiterate firstly uh, it, it made that church unhealthy because of this when believers refuse to operate within their own spiritual giftedness the church suffers because every gift is given to every saint for a particular use and reason and need in the church so the church suffered when people said, I don't care about having this gift, I want this gift. Because the minute you eliminate a gift or attempt to do such a thing, that body suffers because somebody in that body is going to benefit from your specific giftedness. And so this church was suffering now as they were all pursuing the same gift because that other gifts were not being put to use. Um, secondly, this resulted in more disunity since members were now competing with each other to see who was better at exercising this gift or that gift. Like, say, for instance, if uh, 
the gift of tongues was present in this church and somebody spoke in tongues, others who spoke in tongues or those who were aspiring and wanted to speak in tongues, they were all competing with each other to see who could speak in tongues better, who could speak in more unknown languages or what have you. So now there was this competitiveness over these gifts and that always leads to disunity. You know, whenever people are battling each other to see who can preach better sermons or who can do this better or that better or do a better job of cleaning the parking lot per se, which comes with high rewards from me because I like a clean parking lot. No, I'm just kidding. But it really resulted in all this weird disunity and stuff and com com competition. And thirdly, here's the real kind of scary thing. Disunity is terrible in a body, but this one, uh, it just... It kind of takes the cake. This kind of behavior of only wanting one gift or pursuing gifts that you don't have, um, because you can pursue after certain spiritual gifts that you don't have and will never have, but you can stay on a constant pursuit of them. God gives the gifts. He doesn't give you the gifts because you're asking for it. He gives it because he knows what's right for you and right for that body. But this behavior of the Corinthians, it opened them up to a lot of demonic activity. It opened them up to demonic activity in the form of false spiritual gifts. Gifts that were not actually true given gifts by God. See, you must understand that the spiritual gifts that God gives, they are irrevocable. If God gives this person a particular spiritual gift, it's not going anywhere whether the person wants it or not. And if the person fails to exercise it, God is not going to take it away from them because the gifts he gives are irrevocable. He does not take them away. But say, for instance, that you have particular gifts and you're not happy with those gifts and you want the gift of tongues and you go after that gift, but God has not planned to give you that gift, Satan is there to make sure you get some form of it, a false version of it. And in that day, it was rapid gibberish, shanda, kanda, banda, whatever it is, what you see today which has its origins today, what you see today happening in church circles, has its origins in mystery religion, the rapid-fire gibberish. That's a satanic imitation of the real thing because the real thing is intelligible language. So when you say, I'm not happy with this gift, I want this gift, but God is not going to give you that gift, Satan will give you a version of it that's not authentic or real, but help you to think that what you have is the real thing. And here you are perpetuating a false gift. And that's demonic. That opens that whole body up to satanic activity. It's a dangerous thing. The devil is always ready and willing to minister to dissatisfied, ungrateful Christians by supplying them with false spiritual gifts that actually connect them to demons who masquerade as angels of light. 2 Corinthians 11:14 the devil masquerades as an angel of light know for certain that the demons can do it as well and so because these people wanted a particular spiritual gift that they were not going to receive they got some form of it from demons which connected them to demons rather than for the good and welfare and benefit of the church and it looked like gibberish just speaking gibberish and keep in mind, there wasn't any translation, and there never is today. And when there is, you can just as easily plant somebody in a congregation that could falsely interpret gibberish. By the way, there is no such thing as an interpretation of gibberish. Why? Because gibberish is not a language. 
So when you say, I don't want this, but I want this, the devil is more than willing to give you a nice little treat so that you can begin to tarnish and harm that whole body with your fake gift. Ultimately, like the real big problem here is that the Corinthians just did not understand that the body of Christ has many different kinds of members. And I mean, they're all the same in that they're all Christians, but it has different members with many different kinds of spiritual gifts. They're not all supposed to be the same. There is a diversity in God's will and God's plan in the scripture for spiritual gifts. God may give one Christian several gifts rather than spiritual gifts rather than one, but you know, he's going to equip a body with multi-gifts so that the multi-needs of the congregation can be met. This is something that the Corinthians just did not understand. They just wanted the showy gifts. Why did they want the showy gifts? Because the showy gifts bring attention to yourself and that feeds and fuels pride, which doesn't belong in any church. They didn't understand how the body of Christ with all of its members and different gifts and that how diversity is essential to the church's vitality and effectiveness. They just did not understand any of this. So they foolishly pursued uniformity, everyone having the same spiritual gifts. And that is exactly what Paul corrects in the second half of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. This is what he goes after. He has to help them understand what the body of Christ is like and how it's gifted in different ways and it's diverse in its gifts and how those gifts are put to use in proper scriptural service rather than servicing your own pride and persona or what have you. So right now we are in the middle of a four-point sermon that is taking a long time. We tackled... point. I, we tackled point one in some of point two on July 30th. That was the last time I was in the pulpit. We had Bruce step in last week to give me a break since I broke my ribs. Thanks again, brother. So that's kind of where we're at this morning. We're going to wrap up point two and we'll begin to look at point three. I wanted to go further, but it's, it's, it's very hard for me because when I'm studying, I just want to keep giving commentary, right? And it's like, okay, at some point, that's enough. <laughs> you know? So uh, this is a burden of mine. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be focused on verses 16 to 24a. And I think we should pray once more before we get to work. Father, we just sang a song about the words, your words of life, the scripture and Lord, we, we understand that uh, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting right through who we are, exposing who we actually are, correcting who we are at times when we're not aligned with your Word, and uh, that's Hebrews 4.12. And so, we, Lord, we ask now that you humble us and help us to listen attentively and to not just be hearers of the Word, but to actually apply the Word and live the Word. And that's what's best for us. That's what's greatest for your glory. That's what's going to bring the most fruit in our, this body here, this congregation. And so may we uh, apply the word today as we hear it from you. Um, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we got to pick up where we left off on the 30th and we're going to look at number 2.2 .2 again. It's just continuing. 
diversity in the body of Christ. And now we're looking at verses 16 to 17. That's where we've managed to get to. Let me read the text. And this is what Paul says next. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Stop there. So what Paul is doing is he's using the same argument that we see back in verse 15, where he's using body parts and describing various body parts of the human body and how if they didn't exist, then, you know, where would this be? Or if there was too much of this, where would that be? Same argument as verse 15. He's just using different bodily members now is all, just different parts. Instead of feet and hands, because that's what we see in verse 15, now we see eyes and ears. Paul's point is that not being a particular member in the body of Christ, like if you're this kind of member with this kind of spiritual gift in the body of Christ, um, if you're not that type of member or gifted person in the body of Christ, it doesn't make you any less of a member. In other words, what Paul is saying is there aren't some members that are really greater than others. And in this particular church, that was the theology, that was the thought that those with the more visible public gifts like tongues and prophecy, which means to expound the word of God, those are the showy gifts. Those gifts, they, they're done and out in the public. They must be the most important gifts. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the way it works. He is saying that eyes and ears and eyes and feet... And, and hands, these are all the extremities or parts of the body that he's been illustrating, verse 15 and 16. He says they're all valuable because they all serve a particular function. Now, the eye isn't necessarily greater than a hand or a foot. They all have a function, so they all have great value. One is not greater than the other, he's saying. Each member of the body of Christ may have a different function, but they all do have equal value. If you're a, a hand per se, because he's using a physical body to illustrate this, but if you are, say, for instance, a hand in the body of Christ, that's a particular spiritual gift, and you have an ear over here, there isn't one that's better than the other. You have equal value. You both have a particular use. You're both important and why is it that all the members with all their various gifts are equal in value? Well, it's very simple. It's because all were bought at a price. Every member was bought at a price, and that price is the precious blood of Christ. The ears were bought with the blood of Christ. The feet were bought with the blood of Christ. The person with the, the, the spiritual gift of prophecy who can un fold the word of God clearly for people and apply it, bought with the blood of Christ. The person who has the spiritual gift of helps, which is one of the most essential gifts. It's someone who's always willing to lend a helping hand. There's people that are spiritually gifted that way. That person has equal value to the one who prophesies because that person was bought with the very same precious, right, blood of Christ. This is what Paul is teaching us here. We're all bought with the blood of Christ. First Corinthians 7, 23, 1 Peter 1, 19, obviously. In verse 17, Paul describes the 
absolute danger of uniformity, everyone being the same. They all wanted the showy gifts. I wanted, we all want to speak in tongues. That's, that's the most important thing. It's hard to believe that the spiritual gift of tongues is probably one of the most important gifts, is the most important gift in certain church circles today, as, as it was in the first century in the Corinthian church. A gift that was merely given for a period of time to break down language barriers, and that is it. But somehow, that is the most important of all the spiritual gifts, because some people say that if you have that gift, that shows that you have true salvation. Now, the presence of the Holy Spirit is what shows us that we have true salvation, not some spiritual gift. Paul is describing the danger of uniformity. If every member of the body of Christ wanted to be an eye, he says, where would the sense of hearing be? And if every member wanted to be an ear, where would the sense of smell be? The point is that if we all possess the same gift, other gifts will be either not used or missing altogether, and the body is not going to function as it should. Can your physical body function as it should when it's missing parts? No. If you don't have kidneys, it, years ago you died from that. And now you can go on dialysis for a while and hope for a transplant. Your body, physical body, cannot function properly when parts are out of order or missing altogether. Now, I would agree that modern medicine and science has done wonders. You can get, you know, false legs and all sorts of things. I read a story the other day where a guy doesn't even have a heart. He's got two electronic pumps and they're doing the job of a heart. That's pretty astounding. But, you know, in Paul's day, there was nothing like that at all. And so if you didn't have a heart, you were, as the Scottish or Irish would say, deed. You were dead. You weren't alive. So just as our bodies need all of its parts functioning, so does the body of Christ. Diversity is essential to the human body. All the parts in their diverse design, doing their diverse different tasks. Diversity is essential to the human body. Uh, the human body cannot function properly when some of its members are absent and do not perform their unique, specific tasks. Uh, for instance, if Paul is essentially saying something like this, and I'll use kidneys again, uh, if the kidneys were to say to the rest of the body, yeah, I'm pretty tired of filtering the blood. Don't want to do it anymore. I actually like what the eyes do. So I think I'll become another set of eyes. What a view that would be. All you see is internal organs everywhere inside you. Oh, look at that. This is the point that he's making. But just entertain the ridiculousness of this. Your kidneys say, I don't want to do blood anymore. I want to be eyes. So what would happen? Obviously, you would gain another set of eyes, but you would lose your kidneys and either die or go on dialysis or get a transplant later on. So diversity is essential to a human body. Paul is saying that this exact same diversity is essential to the body of Christ. Cannot function properly if everyone is the same. Uniformity, therefore, is egregious to the body of Christ. It destroys its functionality. This was a major threat to the Corinthian church as its members all wanted to have the same functions and gifts. They wanted to eradicate diversity and have uniformity across the board with everyone doing the exact 
same stuff. It just really illustrates the level of pride in this church because that's why people are going after this. They want the gifts that bring them accolades and attention, not the gifts that they actually have that are meant for the common good of the body. This church called the church at Corinth one of the gifts for self-service and self-glorification, just as we see today. Let's move to verses 18 to 20. Paul continues, he says, but as it is, here's a reality check for you, Corinthians, he's saying, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. <laughs> if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet there is one body. Mm. Paul tells the Corinthians, he's telling us that God has sovereignly gifted and arranged each member of the body of Christ just as he chose. It's his decision to have these people in this expression of the larger body of Christ with these spiritual gifts. That's his sovereign choice. He has chosen to do that. When people show up at our church and they stick, God has put them here with us with their particular spiritual gifts. This is God's work. God has sovereignly gifted, arranged every member. Paul alludes to this uh, at his sermon on Mars Hill where God has appointed the places where people live and what they will do. Paul's statement here as he says God arranged, it's his choice. It implies that uh, if we do not want the spiritual gifts that he has given us, we are not only questioning the wisdom and goodness of God, but we are suggesting that God himself, who's the one that set all this up, we're suggesting that he has made a mistake. He did not give me the spiritual gift that I want. Well, guess what? Good fathers don't always give their children what they want. They give them what they need, and they give them what others need. So when we say, I, I don't like this gift, I like the gift that that guy has or that person has, this is tantamount to challenging God who has sovereignly assigned you where you are and the gifts that you have. This is like spoiled, spoiled child syndrome is what it is. And when we question the spiritual gifts, we are questioning God. We are saying to our molder, why have you made me like this? We are acting like the divine, with a capital D, potter, with a capital P, has no right over the clay. Romans 9, 20 to 21. It's just rebellion. That's all it is. It's being ungrateful, not being thankful. I guess the same could be say, said about those who have the spiritual gifts and they don't have all that much issue with the spiritual gifts they have. They just refuse to use them because they're apathetic or lazy or whatever. That too is a rejection of God in a sense. In verse 19, Paul asks the Corinthians really the same probing question. Uh, if everyone in the body of Christ was identical, where would the body of Christ be? What would it be like for everyone to have the exact same stuff? The answer is that it would not be what it's supposed to be. Rather than being diverse and, and, and healthy and effective, because that's what is required for a human body to be 
you know, to have its um, vitality and health and effectiveness for all its members to, to be diverse and, and working for the same goal, the benefit of the body, the same thing in the body of Christ. If, you know, if it's not diverse and effective, if it's uniform instead of diverse and effective, then it's, it's ineffective if it's all uniform. I mean, according to Paul's illustration, a body would be covered in ears. And boy, would it be blessed with superior hearing, right? If your just body was covered in a lot of ears, it'd be like a Picasso painting. But the hearing would be unbelievable. You hear things you don't want to hear. But it would have no eyes and no sight, no nose, no sense of smell. It would just be one weird big set of eyes or ears or whatever. It would be grotesque, actually. This is what Paul says. I mean, the Corinthians are probably sitting here thinking, man, this guy is twisted. Is his middle name Stephen King, you know? Well, he's doing this to try to help them understand how ridiculous their thinking is. He's illustrating. So diversity is essential, right? Uniformity is egregious. It just damages and makes the body unhealthy and ineffective. All the members with all their varying spiritual gifts are to engage with what they've been given. That brings glory to God. That brings health and vitality to the body of Christ. That is for, as Paul says back in verse, it's chapter 12, verse 7, that is for the common good. That brings unity in these sorts of things. So diversity is, is just essential. Now we can move to our third point. And that is dysfunction in the body of Christ. They're all D's. Remember, I'm illiterate. I should say I'm illiterate, not illiterate. Because sometimes I act illiterate, like, I don't know what this means. Dysfunction in the body of Christ. We see this in verses 21 to 24a. Paul begins in verse 21. He says, "The and this is, <clears throat> I need a breath mint for this one. They're whiskey flavored, by the way. No, they're not. <laughs> Verse 21. This is, this, is, this is actually really sad. It doesn't look sad, but it is. Verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, right now your eye is speaking to your hand per se, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Okay, now he's, he's using kind of the same argument, but now he's talking about blatant rejection from one part of a human body to another. And of course, this translates into blatant rejection of one member of the Christ with his gifts against another member and her gifts or what have you. I really think this is probably the saddest verse in chapter 12. Why is that? Because it exposes the dastardly depths to which these carnal Corinthians had gone in their perilous pursuit of uniformity. Okay, understand what Paul is saying. Let me help illustrate. Members of a human body are designed to complement one another and work together, right? Your body, it's supposed to work together for the common good of the body, for the health of the body, for the functions of the body. That's what all the parts and, are to do. The eyes, hands, head and feet, they all do their specific jobs, right? In your human body, they all do their specific jobs. And 
you're not going to find, never will find, one part of your body rejecting another part of your body. You're not going to have, as Paul says, the eye saying to the hand, I have no need of you. Most of the time, your eyes are saying to your hands, I really need you, because I really need you to pick up what I'm looking at, right? Or your eyes are saying to your feet, it's time to move. That's a weird guy over there at AMPM. Your, your eyes and your bodily parts are not going to just start arguing with each other. And I, I don't, by the way, I don't need you. You know, okay, you know. Five minutes later, come back, I need you. Okay, I mean, it's not going to happen. This is the argument that Paul's maybe being facetious, I think, a little bit, maybe even a little bit sarcastic. Talking about body parts arguing with each other. We don't need you, we don't need you, we don't need you. And this is a metaphor. And it's a metaphor that is intended as a rebuke against the Corinthians' behavior toward one another. In the pursuit of uniformity, members with specific spiritual gifts were rejecting those who differed from them thinking that they were inferior and not useful. In other words, Paul's not really talking about the eyes of a human body rejecting the hands. He's talking about people in the church with particular gifts rejecting those who had different gifts from them. Oh, you don't speak in tongues? You're useless. You don't prophesy? You're useless. You don't have the gift of faith? You have the gift of helps? Help yourself right out the door. This is what they were doing. That's why it's so sad. That's why it's so tragic. It's despicable that those with superior, in their minds, superior gifts were rejecting those whom they thought had inferior gifts. John MacArthur wrote a few prominent and gifted members acted as if they were self-sufficient, as if they could carry on their ministries and daily Christian lives completely by themselves with only a select few people all having the same gifts. And what they were actually doing, he says, is, quote, overestimating their own importance and underestimating that of other believers, the importance of other believers. Right? That's what happens when you see others who are gifted differently than you as less than you. You are overestimating your own importance and the importance of your own spiritual gifts over someone else. You're underestimating them and saying, well, what they do isn't as valuable. That's what MacArthur is saying. Of course, we know in context the Corinthians were doing this because they were obsessed with showy gifts. And therefore, they thought the non-showy gifts were, you could take them or leave them. And what Paul does here is he, just frankly, just responds with a poignant metaphor. The members of a human body would never act like this toward one another, and neither should the members of the body of Christ. Your body's not going to turn against itself. I mean, I, I do understand today cancers and these sorts of things where, you know, some body, bodily parts and members do attack the rest of it because they've been infected with something. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about in general. In a healthy human body, your body is going to be doing its job, all the parts working together. And he's saying, you know, it should be exactly the same in the body of Christ. Every member and spiritual gift is valuable and totally needed, which means that every member and spiritual gift should be embraced and cherished, nurtured, thanked, supported, 
It takes every member and spiritual gift working together to achieve the highest levels of vitality and effectiveness in the body of Christ. The Corinthians mistakenly thought tongues and prophecy were enough. Those two gifts that we should all have at the same time, they're enough. They'll carry us into the future. They'll be what's best for this church and this corrupted community. They were wrong. This is a lie from the pit of hell. The body of Christ cannot flourish the way that it should unless all of its members and spiritual gifts are operative, just as a human body cannot flourish unless all of its members are operative. Inoperative members stymie the church's growth as well as the mission, the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This terrible, terrible phenomenon that we see in the Corinthian church. It becomes even more unconscionable when we factor in the rapid decline of their culture or even our culture today when we see this ugly thing. It's tough for the church as a whole to be salt and light, Matthew 5, 13 to 14, while some of its own members are being self-centered and lazy and, and, and not even employing or putting to use their spiritual gifts or they're fighting over the idea of having other spiritual gifts or they're rejecting members who have what they perceive as inferior gifts. This makes it tough for the church to do its job. Every spiritual gift is needed, Paul's point. In all of its diversity, every member and every gift is needed. Not just the more visible and prominent spiritual gifts like maybe prophecy or then tongues. Listen, I'm going to go through a list. The spiritual gift of service is needed. It's a spiritual gift. Romans 12, 7a. The spiritual gift of teaching is needed. That doesn't necessarily mean it's happening in a pulpit. It could be in a Bible study or something. That spiritual gift of teaching is needed. Romans 12, 7b. The spiritual gift of exhortation is needed. Romans 12, 8a. The spiritual gift of giving is needed. This is someone who gives kind of above and beyond. They just have a really generous spirit about them, and they're always giving and supporting. That's a spiritual gift. It is absolutely needed, and I think it's one of the ones that we see the greatest shortfall for in the church today because people hardly give anymore. Romans 12, 8b, it is needed, it is needed, it is needed. The spiritual gift of leadership is needed. Romans 12, 8c, the spiritual gift of mercy is needed. Romans 12, 8d, thank you, God, for putting Bruce here because he has the gift of mercy. And I live in it. Bruce is like, here comes another call from Pastor Phil. Praise God. No. <laughs> It can be frustrating. Thank God for that gift. The spiritual gift of wisdom, speaking the utterance of wisdom is needed. 1 Corinthians 12, 8a, the spiritual gift of the utterance of knowledge is needed. 1 Corinthians 12, 8b, the spiritual gift of discernment has never been needed more than today. Knowing the difference between truth and error 1 Corinthians 12, 10, C. And the spiritual gift of helps is needed. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, 
see, I just gave you a list of spiritual gifts, but I left out tongues because I think they've ceased. And I left out prophecy because we know that's needed. But man, if you were to say that in front of the Corinthians, they'd say, see, we all have it. <laughs> Vitality and effectiveness in the body cannot occur apart from, or actually vitality and effectiveness in the body, it actually can. Those things can actually occur apart from the sign gifts, such as tongues, healings, and miracles. Why can, they, why can the church flourish without those things? Because God had planned to bring them to an end. According to God's own design, the sign gifts, tongues, miracles, and healings, that doesn't mean that God doesn't heal. Don't get me wrong. We've already explained this. You can go back and listen to the other lessons. But the church is just, some would argue today those gifts need to be for today because what you're saying, we get that. We understand that. But you have to have those gifts functioning too. Well, not when God intended and planned to replace them with his word because the word was not finished when those gifts were operative. But according to God's design, the church can get along just fine without those sign gifts. They were intended for the apostles, given primarily to the apostles, not intended to carry over. They ceased with either Paul or at the very latest with John. When a member of the body of Christ rejects a fellow member because of his or her spiritual gift or gifts, it would be equivalent to a part of the human body rejecting a fellow part. That's Paul's point. Like the eye saying to the hand, we don't need you. But the truth is, according to the word here and in other places, every member and every gift is needed for flourishing, for health, for vitality, for mission. Everyone counts in large amounts. Let's just put it that way. This is Paul's point in verse 21. Now we can go to verses 22 to 24a. Paul says this next. This is our last section for this morning. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Okay, Paul illustrates the worth of those members of the body of Christ who possess the non-showy spiritual gifts and who are, generally speaking, working behind the scenes or in the background or in the shadows. This is what he's talking about here. He describes these servants in the body as basically parts of the body that are, he says, weaker, less honorable, and unpresentable. They may be those things, but he also says they are indispensable. Well, let's talk about weaker. Uh, let's talk about weaker, less honorable, and, and uh, unpresentable. Weaker, what does he mean by that? Well, that refers to parts that of the body that are unseen because they are covered by flesh. Talk about a human body again here. Like our internal organs, such as our brain, heart, lungs, liver. These special hidden members are indispensable because the body can absolutely not survive without them. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? He's talking about your internal organs. They're not showy parts because they're not on the outside of us. They're on the inside where you can't see them, but they have a tremendous function because you can't live without them. Paul is paralleling to those who serve in the shadows, 
they are like those parts. This is amazing what Paul is saying here. Seriously, the Corinthians are like, ah, just vampire steak. Okay, now understand, they are weaker. He says weaker. He calls them weaker. And you say, hey, what about the people in the shadows are weaker? What do you mean? No, 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 no. Listen, they're not weaker because of their function. They're weaker because of the kinds of tissues they're made of. Think of your internal organs. Your internal organs are weaker than your hands. Your hands have an epidermis. They're very tough and durable. Your liver does not have an epidermis like that. It has soft tissue and it can be damaged instantly. This is Paul's point. Since the weaker or since your internal organs possess no durable epidermis, they have to be protected by a skeletal system and muscles and flesh. Paul's point is that there are gifted members in the body of Christ who are like the internal organs. They serve an absolutely vital purpose to the body of Christ, but they do, for the most part, remain hidden because they don't have gifts that are out in front. Maybe what he was referring to is a small prayer team, right? You don't see that prayer team serving the Lord. <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. Without that little two, three, four-person prayer team praying for that church, that church is more powerful in the Spirit of God because of those three or four prayer people than it would be without them. But you don't see them, but they're like the liver. They're like the heart. JMAC says, The faithful prayers and services of a few dedicated saints who hold no office frequently are the most reliable and productive channels of spiritual power in an entire congregation. Uh, you know, those organs that are inside there being protected by your ribs, you can't see them and they're not showy, but they're really important, just like that prayer team that you don't see doing its job, using its talents and its spiritual gifts to lift up this body, to pray for Louie and Pastor Phil and for Caroline, and we know Dave needs prayer. Just kidding, David. Rather than discounting and even disregarding these non-showy hidden members, they ought to be protected by those who do not serve in the shadows. Somebody like me who does not serve in the shadows, who serves out front, should serve as a rib cage to those who serve in the shadows, protecting them. That's what Paul is saying. So that's weaker. They're only weaker because of what they're made of. Next, less honorable. That refers to parts that are unseen. And keep in mind, they're all unseen, essentially. But that refers to parts that are unseen because they are actually covered by clothing. The first category was covered by flesh and muscles and tissue. The second, is you can't see it either. They're in the shadows as well. But they're, in terms of the human body, they are covered with clothing. And I think what Paul was referring to here is like your abdomen and more particularly your back. Mm. If these parts of our torso aren't all that attractive, uh, <laughs> used to be when I was in my 20s, you know, you go to the lake, hey, hey, you know, hey, tan, no hair. And you know, now I go out there, it's like, 
Sasquatch is alive, you know? They're not all that attractive, right? You know, they used to be at one time. Some of you are like, hey, I work out, man. Less honorable, it's just the part, it's like what you cover in your clothing, your abdomen, your back, you know, just your torso. Maybe you put on a few pounds or whatever. Point being, that doesn't make your back and your torso any less valuable. Your back and your torso are still indispensable, aren't they? Even though they might not, you know, look like a bodybuilder. Cover them with clothing. <clears throat> this, these parts of the body, the torso, and more particularly the exterior part, all that obviously form a protective barrier around most of our vital organs, internal organs as well. You know, you've got your exterior torso, all your stuff is on the inside, so they have value in that they're protective of things that are on the inside. Um, your back is absolutely foundational to your posture. Um, you know, if you don't have a good back, you're not walking, you're not sitting upright, you're not moving. Anyone ever hurt their back? It's like the worst thing in the world. Can't sit up without your back. You're immobile without your back. Paul's point is that there are gifted members in the body of Christ who are like the torso. They're hidden maybe by clothing, but they do serve a vital purpose, don't they? That's his point. This could be the church's administrators, right? Those who pay the bills, sign payroll checks. Man, they're important. They too, his point is they too should be honored and protected by those who serve in more visible roles. And then last category, you have the unpresentable. I think we know what this means. It refers to the body parts that are private, like reproductive organs. They are hidden as well, uh, not as much in our day, unfortunately, uh, but they're supposed to be hidden and covered by clothing, not seen. They might not be visible like the hands, and we thank God for that, but they are no less important. There is no procreation without them. There can be no sexual intimacy between husbands and wives without them. There is no nursing newborn babies without them. For these reasons, these special unseen members of the human body are absolutely indispensable, amen? And Paul's point here is exactly the same. There are gifted members in the body of Christ who are like the unpresentable members of a human body. They are just as unseen as the other parts, and they are just as indispensable. See? Out of the mouth of babes. That baby's like, amen, I'm here because of that. Woo! Right? Right? Seriously. Make as much noise as you want, baby girl. It's all good. You, you, you got problems if you don't have those indispensable things playing out. Now, maybe Paul was referring to, like, maybe the greeters in a church, those who are at the entrances welcoming people as they arrive. It's always nice to see a, a smiling face, somebody who's happy to be there and says, hey, how you doing? I can't do it because I'm overly excited. So people are like, whoa, this guy needs to drink less coffee. Get him some Sanka, 
right? I'd blow people right out at the front door. But it could be those people. This, that's kind of a, yeah, you're out front, but not like in a pulpit, but could be them. Maybe it could be the hospitality servants who put out all the nice goodies. Hmm, that's good stuff. Maybe the techs that operate sound lighting and streaming. I know this is all in our context, I'm saying, because they didn't have these issues then. Probably had greeters and stuff. Maybe some hospitality. Point being... They're pretty much hidden like a great many other servants in the church. They work in the shadows. But they may not be visible, but they need to be protected and honored by those who do serve in visible roles. That's his point. J-Mac, again, those in positions of leadership and prominence should not look down on those whose gifts are less noticeable. Instead, they should take special care to show them appreciation and protect them when necessary. Amen. That's Paul's point. In the second half of verse 23 all the way to 24a, Paul says our less presentable parts require greater modesty than our more presentable parts. And this is because they're not intended to be seen by anyone other than yourself and maybe your spouse or close family members. You're not supposed to show these things off. We deliberately hide them because they are private. Since our more presentable parts, like our hands and face, are intended to be seen, they don't require any kind of modesty, do they? No. And what Paul is dealing with in this facet of his metaphor is the bestowment of honor. The less presentable members represent those who serve behind the scenes in the shadows, like our facilities team members or something like that. When's the last time you saw a facilities team member performing their, using their gifts and performing their tasks? You don't see them doing it because they come down when you're not here. But can you see the results of their work? Can you enjoy the results of their work? It's a clean building because of them. These servants are less likely to receive honor because their duties are performed during the week when no one is around the more presentable members represent those who serve in the open and or on stage, the preachers and sometimes teachers, definitely the worship leaders, the musicians and what have you. These folks are more likely to receive honor because their duties are performed in public or in front of the church. Paul's point is simple. He is saying that we should not forget to bestow honor on those who serve the body of Christ behind the scenes. Praise is to be given when praise is due. Proverbs 3.27 but it is sadly easy to skip over those who faithfully serve in the shadows week after week, month after month, year after year. It's easy for them to be overlooked. And some of the Corinthians were guilty of this. They forgot to honor the little prayer groups. They forgot to honor the hospitality folks. They forgot to honor the janitors, the greeters, the nursery workers, the children's leaders, and so on and so forth. Maybe in the first century they didn't have all that we have, but the point is, is that they were not honoring those who were not in showy roles. They were putting all the honor and adoration on those who got up and preached and did those other things or spoke in tongues very well. There was no shortage of adoration for those with the showy gifts, especially the tongue speakers. Wow, man, look at that. Listen to that. 
Those particular people received all the accolades, and guess what? Their ministries weren't even effective because there were no translators. While the servants that actually helped the body week in and week out received nothing, not even a thank you. You know that ridiculous rock star mentality we see today in, in today's churches was alive and well in the first century. It's hard to believe, isn't it? And we see it in chapter 1, verse 12. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. What do you think that is? These people were boasting about their favorite preachers and who they followed. It's the rock star garbage. Rock star preachers, rock star pastors, people getting behind them and rallying and debating each other over them. And I follow this guy and I follow that guy. By the way, none of these guys were even regular pastors in this church. Their regular pastor isn't even listed here. I don't even know who that was at the time. They, they had created superstars, rock stars out of some prominent figures. And because of this, and because of their, you know, crazy pursuit of uniformity and showy gifts and giving all the accolades to those who had the showy gifts, because of all of this, those who served in the shadows were disregarded by those who chased after the limelight. You know, the church is not a Hollywood production. It's not a Broadway play. It's not a stage for showcasing our... <laughs> spiritual gifts or talents. There are no leading roles, no best actors, no best actresses. It is the body of Christ, and Christ himself is the head. We are its members, and that's it. In fact, we are the doulos, Greek word for slaves, and Christ is the kurios, or kurios Greek word for master. God will not tolerate the mistreatment of any of his servants so that those in the more recognizable, prominent positions better heed the warnings in this text and begin to honor, as of now, the indispensable members who faithfully serve behind the scenes. And in obedience to the word, in particular this passage that we're looking at today, the elders and I have decided to host an appreciation lunch for all of our servants on the 27th of this month, right after the worship gathering. And I know it's a small thing, and it's not, it's not that I want to do one thing and say we obeyed the word, we're good to go. It is meant to be a catalyst for people like me and people like you on this stage who sing every week, who it's easy to get the praise, Maybe it'll be a catalyst for those who serve in a more visible capacity. A catalyst to begin a focus on those who don't serve in this capacity. And to really pour out our thanks and gratitude on those who keep this place going in so many ways. And not just... I mean, those who have the gifts of faith and these other gifts that aren't so overt. But my thought is that maybe it can serve as a catalyst to where we can stop forgetting about you. 
you that serve differently from how I serve. That's why we're going to do the lunch, hopefully to maybe start something. Because the Bible says over and over, at least in Proverbs, it says to give praise where praise is due. And as I told the elders earlier this week, it is so long overdue to have something where we say thanks. And one of them said, let's make it a potluck so those we celebrate can bring their own food. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be stupid? Nobody. By the way, you can bring your own food. We sound like the Corinthians again who brought their own food to these things. No, we're going to treat you. They're, we're going to have some good pizza, some salad, beverages, dessert, and a ton, ton of gratitude. And maybe some of us will stand up here or somewhere and even mention things that we've seen and experienced and witnessed and give praise where praise is due. Okay? That's one way we can apply the word. So if you serve at this church in any capacity at all, you need to sign up in the gathering place so that we can really plan for this. And of course, spouses and children are welcome as well.